Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Woo, okay. If you, if you saw that, see, see, I'm a little OC sometimes, and you know, wasn't just right, and I had to move it around, and... I need therapy, and fortunately I have a personal friend, a friend for 35 years who's actually a clinical psychologist and pastor, so pastors, psychologists need therapy and help, and so I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for allowing Isaac to be a part of your team. Uh, thank you for my daughter, Sean, having a job. I really appreciate that, and so I hope they'll make good hands for you. I, I'm just excited to be here, to be with you, to be a part of LifePoint. I know a little bit about your story. I'm grateful for what God has done and what hopefully is doing in your lives today and what he's going to do in the future as you move forward in following him. And, you know, I, I believe this could be a difference-making church, but it's only because there are people who have a desire as Christ followers to become difference-makers. It reminds me uh, of a coach and his recruiter went out and they were looking for a player. They needed a game-changer. They needed a difference-maker. They needed a running back, you know, to pay billions of dollars. And so they're trying out... To, running backs and so the first guy gets up and they they pitch in the ball defensive back just comes up and lays him out looks to us says, we don't want that guy give the ball to the next guy brought him in and took it back to him he runs around in this defense the same guy boom wipes him out we don't want that guy either third guy comes so he said well let's give him a little bit better blocking and so forth and they give him the ball he runs around same guy knocks him down he said we don't want that guy he's the coach 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 that guy that's knocking them all down, that's the guy we need. You need the difference maker, regardless of the role that they play in life, whether they're in a family, in a community, in a church. And really, when you think about it, this series is about heroes. Heroes are difference makers, right? But the first thing we think about, and we've got enough super, superheroes. I mean, they, I guess all of Hollywood is a superhero, right? because they just pump out all those things. And when we think about a superhero, what do we think? Those are the people, the men, the women, the superheroes. They may be, they may be Clark Kent or Peter Parker or some extraterrestrial, you know, and, and they got these superpowers. They save the day, right? They step in. Or they save the nation, America, Captain America. Or maybe they save the whole planet. So we look at those heroes and we go, oh, I gotta be a superhero. Let's be honest today. How many of you got this morning, went in the bathroom, looked in the mirror, you said, yeah, baby, that's me. And now you may have been in your superhero pajamas, guys, but really, you're not. You're not. Just ask your wife or what. So I want us to change the way we think about this. I want to talk about everyday people like us who become and are heroes. They live extraordinary lives. Let me give you an illustration. Her name is Candy Leitner, and very few may know her name, but... She's a California mom, has three kids. In 1980, her 13-year-old daughter, Carrie, was walking to school one day and was hit so hard by a speeding pedestrian that it knocked her body 125 feet, tore up her organs so they couldn't be donated. It was a horrific tragedy, as you can imagine. However, that tragedy followed the loss of her son, Travis, who was hit by a car driven by a woman who was on tranquilizers and he experienced permanent brain damage. The driver of that car didn't even get a ticket. So the second time when Candy's daughter was killed, 
by this inebriated driver. She snapped. She says, I cannot do nothing. I must do something. And she founded Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. She established the first traffic laws, prohibiting driving under the influence, saving millions and millions of lives. When you and I see the video footage or read the newspaper articles about people who step in and maybe it's they rescue somebody from a burning fire or they give them artificial heart help with that and you're just going, oh, wow, that, that's a hero. But have you ever thought about the people actually rescued in those scenarios? The participants, the recipients of that person's act of courage, sacrifice, Have you ever thought about if you were in that scenario, there's the car, it's on fire, there's the building that somebody needs rescuing, what would I do in that situation? You see, most heroes don't try to be heroes, right? Something happens and they respond. For many of us, or those who might try to be a hero, I would probably be like the lyrics to that song, trying to be a hero and winding up a zero. You know that hymn of the faith? That's not what we're talking about. Most heroes don't try to be heroes. And so as you've heard, we're gonna, over the next few weeks, your pastors and teachers are gonna be talking about people in the scriptures who are heroic, but you're gonna find they're pretty much ordinary people. And, and we're gonna look at a verse in just a moment that your pastor wants you to engage in, memorize from Hebrews chapter 12, but it's preceded by the Hall of Fame chapter, Hebrews 11, and it lists all the big names, Moses and Abraham and Jacob. And you get to the end of that chapter, and I hope that you'll read that to kind of get your head around this memory verse later, not now while I'm talking, hopefully. And it says there were others. Their names aren't mentioned, but they gave their lives, they sacrificed. They were ordinary people who did extraordinary things that became difference makers. And so I want you to kind of wrap your hearts around this verse from Hebrews chapter 12. Maybe memorize it, all right? And I want you to make it a part of your life. So here's the verse. Let's, let's, you want to just try to get it, read it out loud? All right, you ready? We're going to start together. One, two, three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked for us. Witnesses. He's just talked about the heroes in chapter 11 and the others, the some who did this. So heroes don't always look like heroes, do they? I mean, little David didn't look like a hero with a little kid 12 years, 13 years old with a sling, but he slayed a giant. The one thing that all these heroes have in common is this. Heroes, difference makers, do something. So here's a working definition. Heroes see what other people see, but choose to do something about it. They see. Sometimes they didn't know they were going to see something. Often they see a problem like Candy Lightner, and they choose to do something about it and it makes a difference not only in the lives of those around her but beyond themselves so here's the bottom line we define a hero the bottom line is this undeniable truth heroes make a difference it may not make the front page may not make the scriptures but people who make a difference 
And I want you to understand today, if you're a Christ follower, you've believed in and received Christ, then the power of God through Christ comes into your life to be a difference maker. His resurrection power is infused into us. You can make a difference in your life. In fact, why don't you look at your neighbor and look him in the eye, and for a long ways away, turn around, look him in the eye and say, you make a difference. Boy, church, I mean, it's okay. It can be, be loud. A little authority there. Look at them and say, I know they're surprised. And, and in your head, you're probably going, probably not. But try, okay? Look at them and say, you can make a difference. Okay, I'm going to try to convince you that in the next few moments, all right? Have you thought about the heroes that, are, that we've experienced during the COVID crisis? The medical personnel who stepped in and sacrificed. Let's be honest on our brains and hearts in the news every day is the situation in Ukraine. And the everyday heroes and ordinary people for their love of freedom. The ordinary people. And so we're going to look at a story today. And I'm going to give a brief introduction. I hope you read the book of Nehemiah. It took place about 600 years before Jesus Christ was born. And the Babylonians had taken the Jewish people captive. They had destroyed the walls of Jerusalem. But before they came, the walls were beautiful. They were spectacular. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. This is a more modern, this is the 18th century. In the ancient world, those walls were powerful. But they came in and destroyed it. It became a pile of rubble. And it looked like that. And so the Persians came along, displaced the Babylonians, and Artaxerxes said, you can go back to your home country, those of you who want to. And a small number said, we're going to go back. And they kind of put up a little small temple, tried to replicate the great Solomon's temple. It was impossible. But they could do nothing with the walls. They were overwhelmed by the rubble. Every morning they got up and there was the ruin. There were the piles of rubble. And they were discouraged. They, they were depressed. And it was dangerous. And the hero that we're going to talk about, guess where he's at? 850 miles to the east. He's never been to Jerusalem. It was his grandparents, his parents who were taken captive. And Nehemiah, even though he has, he's a captive. He's an immigrant who's a captive. But through the years in public service, he had risen through the ranks and became the cupbearer to Artaxerxes, the Persian monarch. They say cupbearer. I mean, yeah, big deal. What's that about? Some like a chief of staff, the cupbearer oversees the meals that are prepared, and he tastes that, and the, the coup de grace, the, the thing he brings the, the wine goblet and in front of the king and all the people, he is going to be the one who has tasted the food, tastes the wine before he gives it to the king. Now, the easiest way to take out an enemy or a king was by poisoning. It happened a lot in the ancient world. So Artaxerxes, the king, needs somebody he can trust, right? And here's this Jew in Persia who's been a captive, and he's worked his way into the confidence of the king of Persia. And he tastes the food. And at 24-7, if he wanted something to eat, something to drink, hey, Get Nehemiah, need him to taste my food. Now, Nehemiah comes in. You imagine if you're the cupbearer, if the cupbearer tastes the wine and, and he drops dead. <laughs> and the king goes, ooh, that was just a bit of a bad year. <laughs> Long live the king. 
It's an important role. He saw him every day. It was an influence. And, and so picture in your mind this person, Nehemiah, who's in the court of a very powerful king. He's a very ordinary person. He has an important job. Many of you who don't think your job is all that important, but as a mom, a dad, a grandparent, a volunteer, you have an amazing opportunity each and every day to make a difference. So there's four principles that I'm gonna kind of throw out at you today. And, and you listen, if you're taking notes, I think you can get, scan the QR code, the notes will be on your phone. The first thing that a difference maker, you wanna be a hero, you have to see the reality. See the reality. Let's start, pick up the story, Nehemiah chapter one. These are the memoirs. It's not a fairy tale. Actual history, verifiable. Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, one of my brothers came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. Picture the rubble. They just got there. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. They're discouraged, they're depressed, they're demoralized, and they're disgraced. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. No, they weren't able to have a little video to bring and say, here's what it looks like. But Nehemiah had heard the stories about the great temple and the great walls, and it was being torn literally to the ground in 586. And if you have trouble understanding the impact of that, bring to mind the images of those buildings and those people in the cities in Ukraine, and you get a vivid picture of what it must be. And if you allow your mind to see that reality, there's something inside of you. I'll say, oh God, can you step in? Could you bring peace? Not in a political sense, but in a human sense. But you want to distill it down a little more personal because what are those walls back then or Ukraine and this story Nehemiah have to do with my life and my family and our church today? Glad you asked before you zone out. Let me just say, think about it like this. Walls are important because walls protect and the gates provide an entry in and out. But without walls, there's no security. There's no peace. There's no protection. There's probably not a whole lot of prosperity because they're under the threat of danger, of enemies. And so when you think about walls, you're thinking physical. Let me put it like this, walls are important because let me identify. The walls of fidelity protect marriage. The walls of marriage protect family. The walls of family protect the community. The walls of community protect the state. The walls of the state protect the nation. You know, the walls of our lives, and often maybe some in this room I'm speaking to, and certainly within 20 miles of this church campus, the people you work with, go to school with, recreation with, maybe your own lives. You can sense it. The walls are falling down and the walls of financial security or maybe you've lost a job or maybe a child has made a poor decision maybe you've made a poor decision maybe you got the news and it was a bad report there's a spot here and all of a sudden 
feels like your walls are just crumbling. Your life's falling apart. And, and, and you kind of, the mental wreckage of your future looks like the broken down walls. Seeing the reality. Here's the fact. Seeing the reality requires personal, emotional honesty, engagement. I mean, often we just rationalize or, or the images come up. We see them so often, we get numb. We, we don't pay attention to these terrible situations. We become numb, jaded, and we don't engage emotionally. If you read this story, Nehemiah wept. Look at chapter four, one, verse four. It says this, Nehemiah, when I heard this, people are in trouble. I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. We can excuse, we can irrationalize, we can choose not to look. I mean, there's so much bad news around us and maybe we're dealing with our own problems. And, and in order to start to restore, to renew, to rebuild, you've gotta to get to that gut level of saying, I'm broken and this is broken. And, and that sense of emotional honesty, and I know guys, we have been taught, trained, programmed, yeah, your big, Big, you don't do that. You, you don't emote. You don't, you know, now, we do emote, but it's usually anger and outbursts and frustration. And the other side go, oh, I can't do that. And yet, Nehemiah wept and wept for days. At some point, we look in the mirror of our lives, the situations that we're in, and we say, this is broken. And I can't fix it. And Nehemiah what am I going to do? He wept and prayed and said, God, the God of heaven. The best thing that could happen to some of you today is to look in the mirror of your life and say, this is not working in my life. This is broken. This is messed up. You know, that's the right thing to do. It's the godly thing to do, to be emotionally honest, see the reality. And maybe it's not just your life, but maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's somebody who's caught up in addiction or whatever. You see, what do heroes do? They see, they see the problem, the situation. But heroes choose to do something about it. Here's a second principle. Accept responsibility. Accept responsibility. Here's, here's the human reality. To make a mistake is human. To blame it on somebody else is even more human. <laughs> That's how we roll. Well, I'm, I'm that way because of what they did. And I'm that way because of this. And, and, and these circumstances, you know, denial, my friend says, is not a river in Egypt. <laughs> you'll, you'll get that later. It's a psychological, he said, well, this is, I didn't come for a therapy session today. Let me tell you something, that, that's why the Holy Spirit's our wonderful counselor. And the word is truth. But you've got to face up to it because we use these defense mechanisms to blame other people, right? Okay, not, not your head, just to see if you're conscious. Okay, and you're agreeing with me. That's good, I need that. Now, but what do we do? We came to church today, didn't we? I mean, y'all look good. Clean up, smell good, act good, you know. If you have little kids and I was in your car or your house while you were getting ready today, 
just get, we're going to church. <laughs> Drop that down and say, let's get honest. Here's what Nehemiah said in, in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 6. Look, he's praying. God, look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. People he didn't know, 850 miles to the east. He knew the history, the story, his parents, his grandparents, all that. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. What a time out, Nehemiah. You weren't there when the Babylonians, you weren't disobedient in God's wrath and the enemies came and tore it all down. He could say, what, that's not my problem. Look, I've got a great job. I'm doing good. It's not my fault, that's on them. But what does he say? I, we, I, I, I know I'm talking to some of you, maybe you're watching online or live streaming or what. The fact of the matter is, some of you have scars, the difficulties that you've experienced in life. Previous generations responsible, the way your parents treated you. Maybe a coach, maybe some kind of abuse, a disaster you had, we're in the middle of a dysfunctional marriage, or, or you grew up in that kind of home. Other people, other circumstances, you, it's easy to blame them. And I want you to hear me, I'm deeply sorry for what you've experienced. But at some point, see the reality. And, and then you take responsibility because you never solve a problem if all you try to do is blame in order to fix it on somebody else. I don't know how many marriages I know that were more interested in fixing the blame than they were fixing the problem. Or parental and child relationships. I don't know what was done. Nehemiah could have said, that, that's not my deal, God. But you see this? He said, I'm gonna accept this responsibility and it hits me so deeply, God, I'm going to pray and weep day and night for several days, even months. And rather than say, I know they did it, God, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna step in because I'm a hero. You see what he said? My family, I. Heroes have to sacrifice part of themselves to be honest and accept reality. Third point is this. Heroes, different difference makers, pray positively and patiently. In verse four, when Nehemiah heard about the wreckage, the discouragement, the Bible says he sat down and wept. In fact, for days I formed and, mass, and fasted and prayed. He, you see, we're gonna take, he just keeps praying. He continues to pray. And it's in prayer that we can be honest. God already knows everything about us, the wreckage, the ruin, the rubbles, and guess what he says, and I love you. I love you unconditionally. Why wouldn't we pray to him? Because he loves us, but a lot of us, Christ followers, we're pitiful prayers. I know it's not a guilt trip here, but you say, well, what's a pitiful prayer? Pitiful prayers. What do you mean by that? Well, a lot of times we come to God and, and we're telling him, how, you know, God, you know what a sorry, you know how sorry I am, how bad I am. But the truth of the matter is God already knows how sorry we all are. I'm sorry, you're sorry, we're all flawed, we're all, right? Nod your head if you agree with this because that'll help you and help me. It's kind of cathartic. Thank you. 
One of us is on this page. Now, God, I know the, the, it's a mess. It's a pile of rubble. And, and God, it's a mess. It's my parents' fault. It's that older generation. They messed everything. And, and I, but, but God, I, I just don't know what to do. So I'm doing nothing here, God. I'm just counting on you. I'm, just, I'm sorry, but I'm no good. And, and God, I told you I wasn't gonna do that anymore. But now here I'm again. I don't need to get it. Does that sound pitiful to you? You know, God's their heavenly father. Picture my kids growing up. And they come to me and they said, you know, they've messed up. Generally, parents already know, right? My mom always knew. <laughs> And, 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 you know, they come to me and, you know, Dad, I did this. And, gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so terrible. I'm, I'm pathetic and I'm awful. And, you know, and they just go on. I don't want them to keep repeating what they've done, right? What is it we're looking for? Hey, acknowledge the reality. See the reality. Accept responsibility and say, man, I'm sorry. And I say, you know what? I'm your dad. I'm your father. I, I love Galatians chapter 4. Well, let me, let me just say that in praying positively, I, I want us to read uh, verse 10 and 11. Here's what Nehemiah says about the situation. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Your people, God, oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. I'm building up. It's building up. He's going to make a decision. Put it into the king's heart to be kind to me. In these days, I was just a cup. God, I'm praying day and night, all this kind of thing. But God, you see what he said? Great, awesome, mighty God, everlasting father, all of those things. Now, you think about my kids or me coming to God with that pitiful praying Confession's good for the soul. I get that. But here, I want you to look at this verse in Galatians. Would you read this with me? Because we, Christ followers, are his, what's this word here? Say it out loud. Because we're his children, God has sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of his Son into our hearts, our mind, our wills. We are his temple, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. You know what that means? Daddy. Dad. And once we come to that place and your kids come to that place, whether it's before our heavenly father, our earthly father, or a relationship or a spouse, revealing your feelings, the beginning of healing, accept responsibility, and you begin to pray, it's okay to always say, but pray positively. Can you imagine if you pray like that negative prayer, oh, we're just so mad, I'm just so bad, I'm so sorry, terrible. It's pitiful. If you'll start your prayer with praise for who God is and what he's done in life and you'll be grateful that sets the stage for an encounter. And you pray positively. And when you pray like that, that is contagious. So is the pitiful praying. But you know what? He prayed patiently. <laughs> A lot of us are like those uh, great college basketball players nowadays. One and done. <laughs> One year, stardom. One prayer, I'm done. He prayed patiently. He carried the burden. Now, many of you perhaps are carrying the burden today of broken walls and burned out gates, and it's a mess. But he prayed positively, God, you're my father. You can do this. Christ followers, I can do all things through Christ. So things begin to happen. And you read in the scriptures early the following year. In the following spring, in the month of Nisan, I was serving the king, cupbearer, why? Why? Why are you looking so sad? It was against the law for him to look sad. And I'm sure he's putting on a happy face, a mask, and all those kinds of things. But the king got it because they had a, he trusted him. 
you must be deeply troubled. I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king asked, well, how can I help you? Notice this. He's been praying for four months, people. But in that, the question is asked. Boy, how many times I wish I had taken a time out and said, God help me before I open my mouth. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Wow. That's the moment of decision. But would you at this point say that he's a hero? He hasn't done a thing except see the reality, accept responsibility, begin to pray. And you'll note in this, Nehemiah did not pray, God, would you just send a miracle? God, could you send somebody else? God, send me. Move the king's heart. And did you see what it said? And the king, who could have had him killed for being sad in his presence? And he agreed to my request. You see, let's go back. A hero sees what other people see, but chooses to do something about it. What is it that you see in the world around you? Oh, I can see that, but I can't do anything about that. What do you see within the walls of your life? Your soul, your spirit, your mind. What, what do you see? What, what are you not being honest about? What are you denying is there, the elephant in the room? What is it that you see in someone that you love, but you're not really seeing it, right? And you've, you've, you've tossed some prayers up to God, but let's be honest. Your brokenness has not moved you so deeply that you and I would humble ourselves before God and say, Dad, I need help. I'm sorry. For Christ followers, he loves you. He knows you by name. He's inside of you. He's above you. He's around you. And I love Deuteronomy. He says, and underneath, underneath you are his everlasting arms. But you see, a hero has to choose. And here's the fourth point. You have to choose to be the difference maker. Not sit on the sidelines. Hey, let them do that. They was their problem, not mine. You be the difference maker in your home, in your family, in this church, in this community. He chose. He asked the king. And friends, there comes a point in your life and my life where we have to choose. We have to choose to do something. You, you see, Nehemiah wasn't a builder. He wasn't a contractor. He'd never picked up a shovel, a pick, a hammer. He's, he's passed around fine china and wine goblets. He's never led people. 850 miles across enemy territory to a hostile territory that was not pro-Jewish. It was against them. And he says, I'm going to do that, God. I choose to do that. Pretty ordinary person one day saw something happen that shouldn't be happening. It was incense, and he screamed out loud, God, 
How could you allow that to happen? And they heard God whisper back to him, well, I planned on you doing something about it. And since you've done nothing about it, it still goes on. I think in every person's life, there comes a Nehemiah moment where you see reality honestly. The fork in the road, one leads to comfort. Nehemiah could have taken that path, couldn't he? I got a cush job, I got nice clothes, I'm upwardly mobile. Or I'm gonna take a fork that takes me 850 miles west and sacrifice. It comes a time when you decide, I'm gonna be a godly husband and wife. We're gonna have a godly home and godly family to the best of our ability. I'm gonna follow Christ and know him through his word and prayer. Comes a moment, and who knows that I'm not talking to someone today, and God's spirit is speaking to you, and you say, that's the problem. The answer might say, and it's you. And you say, well, the problem is this, and you say, yep, that's them. No, Nehemiah, it was we, it was us. And we are going to choose to be difference makers together. There comes a moment in your life when your Christ following is just a pastime or it's a passion. Regardless the cost, regardless the damage that's been done, the reality is that God makes stuff brand new. (laughs) He can recreate stuff. He can restore things. He can take the brokenness and put it back together again. He can build brand new. I could give you hundreds of illustrations that I've seen in the lives of people for, for being a pastor and minister for over 40 years and in one church. How God, when people were honest and they said, yep, and I need help, and they would come and they would ask a pastor, a friend, and you know what, you are closer to somebody than I or your pastor or your staff will ever be. And God's waiting for you to say, I've been waiting on you to do something about it. Nothing's been done. So, that's the hero principles. Now, what do I do with those? Well, first of all, you follow them, you know them, repeat them, go again. But let me close by, it's just what's essential. If you want to make a difference in life, be heroic, even though you don't have to be, don't want to be. How many of heroes didn't really ask to be heroes? Give yourself to a purpose greater than you. Give yourself to a purpose greater than you. Can I just submit to you today that the greatest purpose is following Jesus Christ. When he was on this earth, he said, you, here's in the scripture, Matthew 6, seek, you pursue, you go after the kingdom of God above all else, number one, nothing in between, and live righteously. In other words, do the right, do what's right. Do what God wants you to do. That's living righteously, and he will give you everything you need. If you need those walls restored and built back, he'll do that in your life. You know why that's the greatest purpose you can give your life to? Is because there was a time when God the Father saw the reality of the human condition. It's messed up and broken. And my life and your life. And Jesus said, 
I see it too. But he said, I'll accept the responsibility of leaving heaven and going to earth and I will take their place. Jesus Christ lived a, a sinless, perfect life. And you and I have sinful lives. Some are worse than the others. We always compare ourselves to the least denominator, but we're all sinners, right? And Jesus said, I'll pay the debt. He knew no sin, but he became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God, made right with God. He said, I see the reality, Father, and, and I will go. I accept responsibility. It's not my responsibility, but I'll take their place and you say, well, well, Jesus, if you look through the life of Jesus, he was praying all the time for every great miracle. Before anything he did, he was praying to the Father, praying to the Father. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. He says, God, if there's another way, you know, let this come. But not my will, yours be done. That's the Jesus moment, like Nehemiah moment. And that's what you and I need, right? Give yourself to a purpose greater than you. you know, it's essential. What's, what's greater than that? The second thing is join together with committed people. Jesus stood right before he ascended to heaven and here's what he told his followers then and all followers for 2,000 years. You, therefore, you followers, you followers make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That constant connection of Nehemiah, an ordinary person who became a distance maker, was he knew God's word and he was in prayer all the time. But he chose to do something about it. And at some point, committed people, Christ followers, get outside these walls and say, what, is it, what do we gotta do? Love God, love people. If you love someone, you'll see the reality of your relationship or their problem, all those things, and you'll say, it's not really my fault, but I'm gonna come alongside. I'll pray with you, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you to the meanies, whatever that is. But you have a committed followers, a church. We're gonna love God, we're gonna love people, and we're gonna reach out beyond these walls. We're reading about Nehemiah and talking about it today because he chose to leave all the things that he was familiar with and comfortable. And he said, I'm gonna go because God's people need to make a difference and I am one. And the third thing, it's essential, make the most of great opportunities. You may get in your car and your greatest opportunity, husband or wife, is to be a hero, a difference maker in your marriage. You may look in your children's eyes and, and they're looking back at you you could be the difference maker. You, you don't need fame or fortune, I just want to make a difference. Make the most of every opportunity. On the job, at school, recreate, wherever you're at. See the reality. This is real. Accept responsibility. Pray positively. God, you've got this. Passionately. Patiently, persistently, keep on praying. And then, well, you, you make the decision. You choose. I don't know what choice you need to make in your life. Maybe some of you today have never received Jesus Christ. See, would Jesus really do that in my life? Yes, he will. 
I've been a follower for a long time, not always a good one, sometimes a really pitiful one. But I've always known his word is true, he loves me, and that he'll always accept me when I get honest. So if you're not a Christ follower, it comes that moment in your life, you say, you know, I'm pretty pitiful sometimes, and yep, and I don't know what to do. You ask God to come in here. I say, God, I, I don't get it all, but I believe Jesus Christ came. He died for my sins, rose again, and I want to know him and follow him. But I think I'm talking mainly to a lot of Christ followers, and now, now, this is the time you say, I'm going to choose the most important one, the greatest purpose. And I'm gonna do it with other believers. And we're gonna take advantage of whatever opportunity gives me, my family, and our family to make a difference in this community, in this area, and around the world for Jesus' sake. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Nehemiah. Thank you for all the ordinary people that every day in the first century and second and third who were Christ followers and believers and God-fearers who said, send me. God, I'm grateful that you sent your son and he said yes. I pray, Father, that whatever choice needs to be made, that today will be the Nehemiah, the personal moment when that person says yes to Jesus Christ, either as Savior and Lord, to simply be obedient and be, be a difference maker. Starting today, thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.